Welcome to episode six of More Than Just Maps. I'm your host, Ollie Powers. This podcast was created with the intent to help anyone in the GIS field get from where they are now to where they want to be, be that your first job, a career move, or just improving your GIS game overall. Episode, I conclude my interview with Carrie Brennan. We discuss how Carrie's career evolved from teaching as an Esri instructor to teaching workshops for ERISA to being one of the head instructors of the ERISA GIS Leadership Academy. We also discuss the difference between a manager and a leader in the GIS community and how becoming a GIS leader is everyone's responsibility, whether you are a loud or quiet leader. Finally, we chat about why it's important to push your GIS to be part of projects from the very beginning instead of being brought in as an afterthought. So Carrie, one of the things that you mentioned earlier or on the last episode was that you taught with ERISA. You've been both the chair of one of their committees and you also teach at the ERISA GLA. I was actually your student at that, which is how I met you, and it was amazing. Can you tell me some more about how you got into the teaching side of GIS and the teaching side of leadership and how you wouldn't think GIS and leadership really go together, but how they do. They very, very much do. Can you explain to us what your journey has been in discovering that? Yeah, absolutely. So as we talked about earlier, when we both said we were going into geography as a career and people always were saying, oh, you're going to be a teacher. And, you know, I was very adamant to say, no, I'm not going to be a teacher. I am humbled to say that I have eaten those words because for the last 20 years, I have taught in one form or another. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm teaching at an elementary school or high school or even college level. But adult learning is something that is actually a passion of mine. I love to be working with people, either teaching them new technology, teaching them specific skills, or in the case of ERISA, a lot of the leadership programs as well. And I love to see that aha moment where somebody suddenly, the the light bulb goes off and they just get it. And that is as rewarding to me as completing a technology project and delivering it to to a customer. So yeah, my journey into education, uh, when I moved down to the United States, the company I was working for asked me to become an ESRI authorized instructor in the early 2000s. So So I was while you were still with your other company. Yes, that and was were, all I was with Schneider Geospatial. And you were just teaching people within the company or also outside of your company? Uh, actually, we were teaching our customers. So at the time, we were doing a lot of data conversion projects, converting local government's um, GIS data into ESRI format. And then we were teaching, I was teaching them how to use the software in order for them to perform their own data maintenance. Okay. And then, it, like I said, in 2005, I went to my first ERISA conference in Kansas City and became involved at that point with what was then known as the Workshop Development Committee. That is part of the Professional Education Committee today in ERISA and started working on doing workshop reviews had the opportunity to become a, an instructor with ERISA, teaching a couple of classes, and then 
myself and a few other people co-wrote a couple of workshops and I started teaching for Eurissa in that fashion. And then um, when the Leadership Academy came on, I kind of naturally rolled into becoming an instructor with the, the GIS Leader, Leadership Academy as well. It has been for me an incredibly interesting journey, seeing everything from sitting around at a conference with a bunch of your coworkers and discussing what should be the best course to create potentially and to really working out what the course outline should be, what the learning objectives should be, you know, what useful things should a student leave that class with is, is amazing. And then actually building out the content and delivering it. From a leadership standpoint, I personally believe that leadership within the GIS community is one of the hallmark tenants that we have as a profession. What I mean by that is very often I will work with, say, local governments and they're implementing. So at the moment, I work in a public safety environment. So a lot of next generation 911 data creation, data maintenance, things like that. And what I find is sometimes GIS is a forgotten component of the, um, yes, it is an afterthought. Oh, we have GIS, so it will fit perfectly into, you know, any new application that. <laughs> Famous that last words. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so as a leader in the GIS community, it's important if you're working at a local government level or you're working at a, at a private company level to make sure that, you, that your voice is heard. Um, and are you finding that like a lot of people will just be, oh, I'm just the map person or other departments will feel like, oh, you're just the map person. <laughs> you don't really have to be here at all. And are we trying to get more GIS people who are in the GIS industry to realize, oh no, we have to make sure we're at that table having those first discussions when I start, first start doing this. I mean, I've experienced this at the municipalities that I've worked at where what you just said, oh, we have GIS, it'll fit perfectly and it breaks everything. Versus by the time I left the last city I worked for, it was, we need GIS in here on day one and we're gonna get you guys working on board so when this launches, it launches smoothly but people don't realize the amount of work you have to do to get to that table for that very first meeting. What I am seeing now is it started out originally as, oh, well, yeah, we've got this GIS thing. They kind of do their own thing. And then as we've been talking, the proliferation of GIS and geospatial data into everything, it, it suddenly became, oh, well, no, we really do need them. And then, to a certain degree, I think you saw a, a transition where people were like, oh yeah, we already have it, so it's already there, we don't have to worry, it'll fit into any project that, you know, that we're working on. And of course, being kind of boots on the ground GIS people, we know that that's not always the case. To, I'm definitely seeing a shift today where the GIS professionals 
are being brought to the table and they're being brought to the table early on so that their input can help drive, you know, the whole project potentially. Again, because I'm working in public safety right now and there's a big push for GIS data, which has now become or is becoming mission critical data layers within the 911 call routing, it's important that GIS is at the table when new public safety systems are brought in because that data is as important as having a high-speed internet connection or, you know, new high-speed processor computers. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people understood how slow a lot of government agencies were to bring that stuff on board. There, I know there's been numerous things in the news where somebody's died because a fire truck or a police car couldn't get somewhere on time. They had routed them to the wrong spot. And people have gone back after and like, well, Google got me here. Well, emergency services doesn't use Google. They have very sophisticated software. But if it's not working with the GIS properly, that's when you're literally risking people's lives at that point. And a lot of people just don't realize how slow that shift has been. And it's now starting yes. to pick up speed, I think. Absolutely. But here's the thing that I find very interesting. We all know people in our industry, in the GIS profession, that are the best technical people you will ever meet. They are quite happy to sit at their desk, make sure that data quality is at its highest level. And when you ask them what their career kind of path is, what their career goal is, they're like, well, I'm here. You know, I've, I've kind of hit the pinnacle of my career. Yeah. Whereas you'll have other people that will say, oh, well, you know, I want to eventually become a GIS manager, a GIS, you know, consultant, whatever it is. And I'm going to ask a question of you. All is right. either one of them less a leader in the GIS community? They are definitely not. That the person who thinks they're at the pinnacle of their career, you're just there entering data, making sure it's correct, making sure everything, they may not think of themselves as a leader, even though they are. I totally agree. And that's why things like the GLA is a great resource to be able to show both people on a management track or people on a technical track of their career that you can be a leader without being a manager. In fact, managers and or management and leadership are two very different things. Even people Sorry, who go they go into management, like they'll have the worked up their way, the GIS ladder, um, if there was one, and now they're a manager and they've been a manager for six years now, they're actually probably not the person you want to go to. You want to talk to John, who's been at his desk every day for the last 16 years, learning this technology and who's making sure that data is great. He's the person you want to go to, to learn new stuff, not your manager, because your manager is now going to be focused on making sure the team has what they need. They don't know the specific and the technical side of it anymore. So they are absolutely exactly. a leader. <laughs> yes. And, you know, the other interesting thing as well is, how do I want to say this? Being part of an organization like ERISA absolutely helps you to become an industry leader. 
Now, we're not all going to be Jack Dangerman because there's really only one of him. <laughs> but can you be a, a leader within your own community? Absolutely. You know, I'm shaking or nodding my head at you right now. <laughs> you know, obviously my experience is with Eurissa and I've been with Eurissa for over 15 years. I also work closely with Indiana Geographic Information Council. I'm also a member of NINA, the National Emergency Number Association, where I'm also an instructor for them. And for me, the passion of being part of a professional organization, or in my case, like half a dozen of them about, is my ability to interact with people at the Leadership Academy, people at conferences, people at local chapter levels, where you really get the opportunity to see who the leaders are in your community and learn from them. One of the things that the Vanguard Cabinet and the young professionals at ERISA are doing is they're really working on mentorship. I think a lot of people think of mentorship as the old guard passing knowledge on to new younger professionals or people new to this profession. I personally believe that mentorship is a two-way street in that if I'm talking to somebody who is fresh out of college or university, somebody that is, you know, say within the first four or five years of their GIS career, they're going to have a different set of knowledge than I am. Obviously, like you said, they may have more technical knowledge, which I can absolutely use that. But there's also a certain amount of, I'll say bravado. Uh, there's no fear in, in trying new things, going in and maybe programming <laughs> a script. Yeah, they, they haven't quite you know, started to work within the guidelines of, say, a bigger organization. And for me, that is, you know, amazing. And there's a lot of passion involved in that. And, you know, we absolutely need to be able to foster that across every person's career level and talk about leadership in terms of, again, not necessarily a leader being your boss, but if you look around in any organization, there are natural born leaders, especially in the GIS community. Somebody that will organize a lunch and learn to help your coworkers fill out, say, their GISP application, you know, get together in a conference room, pull up a couple of computers, and people work through it together. You go to a conference and you see some really great either technical or leadership type of presentations, bringing that knowledge back to your coworkers, you may not see that as a, I'll say a leadership move, but that absolutely is. You're passing your knowledge on to, to somebody else. So, and you've mentioned here natural born leaders, but what about people who are not natural born leaders? Do you think they have the ability to learn? So I look at it a little bit differently in that I see that everybody is a natural born leader. It's just a matter of what, you know, where their leadership falls. So 
leadership does not mean that you are, you know, the general George S. Pattons of the world leading an army into battle. It can be as subtle as somebody that might be an introvert, not liking to get up and speak in front of people, walking over to their coworker's desk and sitting down and showing them how to do something. So not every person wants to stand up in front of a conference crowd and do a presentation. That takes some people completely outside of their comfort zone, but they can be a leader in their own right. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. <laughs> no, it's good to know that you don't have to be the showy management type to be a leader. You can, you can be a quiet leader, whether it's just giving somebody some encouragement or quietly showing how to do something. They don't have to be, they don't have to be organizing lunch and burns or standing in front of conferences. So it's, it's nice to know for a lot of people who don't fit that mold, that they can still do their part. Yeah. Leadership comes in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and flavors, if you will. And the people that participate at the, the GLA, now you were at the, the offering in Toronto in, yes. I think it was August of 2019. And there were 50, 60 people in the room for five days. Yep. And if you go around the room and start thinking about all the different people at all the different tables, there are, were definitely the showy, I have no problem get up, getting up in front of everybody and talking about what's going on people. And then there were people that were as equally engaged, but they were more quiet listeners. If you look around your office, you're going to see the, the exact same dynamic. If you go to a conference, you're going to see the exact same dynamic. It's important to understand not just kind of leadership, but the psychology of the way that people act and interact. When I started with Schneider Geospatial, they had you do a, a personality test called the personality index. And it's not unsimilar to like say a Myers-Briggs or a strengths finder type of a test, which really just kind of talks about what your inherent passions are, where you are a, basically where you are a leader, what, what are your strong points versus what you might not be strong at. Like for, for me personally, if I look at my strengths and my weaknesses, my strengths are doing stuff like this, standing in front of an audience or speaking on a, on a podcast and being very engaged, kind of very impassioned, things like that. For me, the opposite is I am not overly analytical. Things like that just are not me. So as a leader, should I go and try to become a better analyst? No, because I won't find any passion in that. What I do need to do though, is find people that are my complete opposites. So find people that have really good strategy and build those out as a team where one person might be the loud, boisterous, I wanna get up in front of an audience all the time leader. Pair yourself with somebody who is much more quiet leader. The strength of, of that teaming 
will make people unstoppable, especially on things like projects from a GIS standpoint. I love that. And you, you have, it's not just one person carrying the torch, you have several. So when someone falls down, there's someone else there to pick him up, pick him or her up. They're not, the entire thing's not going to fall down, which I think exactly. a lot of projects and a lot of the way things are done is it's dependent on one person. And when that person falters, whether it's for whatever reason, their life is getting in the way, job is getting too hard, the project is just difficult, they got sick, their kid is sick, something like that, it'll always just fall through. But when you have several people leading that team or leading that project or whatever it is, they're there as backup and, and the weight is distributed evenly. So it's not just all falling straight to the ground. And I think that's really important. And a lot of people still don't realize that. Exactly. If you're ever interested, there is a book. Actually, it's a companion book to First Break All the Rules is one book. And then the other is called Now Discover Your Strength. And uh, it is by Donald Clifton and Marcus Buckingham. And it is an amazing book written in 2001 that basically walks you through looking at what your strengths are and how to maximize them. You know, this falls not just into GIS leadership, but just leadership in general, where you can understand kind of where your strengths are. You have to look at yourself with unclouded glasses, though, and sometimes be very honest with yourself. But it is Which a can great be incredibly companion. difficult. <laughs> Very difficult, yes. But, you know, these are kind of the hallmark tenets of, of leadership. And leadership in GIS is something that we have a lot of, but we absolutely need more of. Again, what we've been talking about this whole time is you don't have to be the stand up in front of 300 people talking leader you can be a quiet leader as well and lead by example, lead by design. Yeah, I, that's, it's so very true. And I'm glad we're talking about that because so many people think, well, that's, I feel there's a huge mentality out there sometimes. Well, that's not my job. I'm not, I don't get paid enough for this. They'll just come up with whatever excuse, but it really is your job. <laughs> it doesn't say it in your job description, but that, other duties as assigned, that kind of falls into there. It's, it's your responsibility to make sure that the team is moving slowly if you're part of the team, even if you're not the top person. It's still there. Right. But in the same respect, if you run into somebody who says, oh, well, that's not my job, there could be, I'll say, extenuating circumstances as to why they are saying that. It takes them so far outside of their comfort zone that they would rather just say, it's not my job. I'm not responsible. There are other ways that you can empower and impassion people, not just by having them be part of the, you know, the loud boisterous team. I think that's a very interesting and kind of challenging thing, especially as any leader within the GIS community is how you encourage your coworkers to also be leaders. Yeah, and that's a whole other topic of discussion there. The, the amount of literature and 
videos and audio that's on that is astounding. I've been getting into that for the last few years and I am nowhere near finished even scratching the surface of that. There are so many great authors of, um, I don't like to use the word self-help, but oftentimes that's kind of the area that they lump these books into. An author named Lincioni does some really great books on leadership. You know, Simon Sinek, if you just go on YouTube and take a look at some of the stuff that he has to say, it's really interesting. Something that we haven't really touched on, and I'm kind of going on a tangent here, I do apologize, but when I mentioned Simon Sinek, this definitely brought up this thought is, we are in an environment today where we have potentially four generations working in the same community, in the same office. So you might have a GIS manager who is of retirement age, might be considered a baby boomer. Um, you'll have people like myself that are fully and completely Gen Xers, Gen Ys, and then the new generation that are now coming into the workforce and as a good leader it's never a bad idea to do just a little bit of research to understand that a baby boomer wants you to pick up the phone and call them a gen xer send us an email a millennial you know send me a text you know so there are all these different ways to just communicate even and again, as a good leader, if you're, say, managing a team or you've got members on your team that span all those generations, understanding how to communicate is the hallmark of good leadership as well. I definitely agree. I know we mentioned this during the GLA, but this has been an excellent reminder of that. So thank you. <laughs> Carrie, I just want to thank you so much. This has been such a great call getting able to pick your brain, learning where you've come from and how you got to where you are now has been just amazing. It was amazing to meet you the first time in person and getting to talk to you again has been so much fun. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. I have so enjoyed our conversation today. For anybody that is planning on it, the uh, Eurisa GIS Pro Conference is in Baltimore in October. So hopefully I will get to see a number of you there in person. Great. Thank you, Carrie.